Welcome to Death Holler. Do you like scary movies? Welcome to Season 3. Slash or pass. There will be laughter. <laughs> tears. <laughs> tender moments. Jeez. Jeez. My special, special boy. But most of all, screams. Remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you have a killer time. So, movie discussion for, and this one is the best sequel, and I will fight people over this. Uh, Now I'm on Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors from 87. I love the name. Yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, Tagline, if you think you're ready for Freddy, think again. Mm, I mean, I know they just wanted to throw Ready Freddy in in the tagline, and that's fine, but think again. Mm. It, It... Part one's always going to have the best tagline. Yeah. That, that, that tagline was amazing. Uh, this one was actually written by Wes Craven, uh, along with Bruce Wagner and Frank Darabont. Music by uh, Angelo uh, Badalamenti and directed by Chuck Russell. Made on a budget of $4 million, it made $44.8 million. Wow. <clears throat> so they're consistently earning, yes. what is that, like... Uh, 10 times their budget yes. back. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, principal players. We have Patricia Arquette playing Kristen Parker. Uh, as our final girl in this one, uh, which is funny because her brother, David would later go on to also star in a West Craven series. Nice. <laughs> uh, she was in severance medium, uh, smoking hot and true romance. Like, <laughs> I mean, she's playing a prostitute, granted, but still, she is very hot in that movie. Stigmata, Little Nicky. I love Little Nicky. Uh, Ed Wood and Lost Highway. Nice. Uh, Robert England, uh, again, as Freddie. Um, this time playing the Nightmare Demon, uh, son of a thousand maniacs, or uh, the bastard son of a yes. thousand maniacs. Oh, yeah. That was a good add to the storyline. Yeah, it actually was. I, I did appreciate that's well, this is the best sequel. So <laughs> uh Heather Langenkamp again is Nancy Thompson, all grown up and high on hypnoseal. Uh, and she's the counselor to the other kids. Hot counselor. Uh, yeah, she oh God, like she looks good in this movie. And that little uh bit of gray hair that she got in the first movie, yeah, uh, it, it looked goofy then, but she grew into it in this one. Yep. <clears throat> John Saxon's back as Donald Thompson, uh, cop and Nancy's dad. Bradley Gregg plays Philip Anderson, who likes to make puppets. Uh, he was in Stand By Me, Class of 99, and Fire in the Sky. Uh, Penelope Sudro plays Jennifer Caulfield, who likes to burn herself with cigarettes uh, after she smokes. Uh, <laughs> Jennifer Rubin plays Taryn White, who's a recovering addict, a punk rocker, and is sadly sexually harassed and possibly abused while she is in a mental institution for these kids. 
Uh, Ira Hyden plays Will Stanton, who's the disabled, possibly due to Freddy. And I'll get into that later about how dark this movie really is when you think about the undertones. Uh, Nerdy Dungeon Master. Uh, Ken Sarg- uh, Sagos plays Roland Kincaid, who's a tough and short, who's tough and short-tempered, uh, and put into solitary confinement due to his violent outburst. Wow. Rodney Eastman plays Joel Crusell, uh, mute and socially awkward. Uh, Craig Watson Neil or Craig Watson plays Neil Gordon, who's the psychiatrist. Lawrence Fishburne plays Max, the orderly at the mental hospital. I fondly know him as Cowboy Curtis, but he's <laughs> also Morpheus. Um, and playing basically the same character in the John Wick movies. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> Somebody get this man a gun. <laughs> and then Nan Martin playing sister Mary Helena, but also, uh, and I put Mary in this, but it's Amanda. Amanda Kruger, uh, who is Freddie's dead mother and a ghost. Hmm. Synopsis set years after the original film, the children on Elm Street are seemingly committing suicide at alarming rates. Kristen, a teen with the power to pull others into her dreams, is the latest of Freddy's victims to be admitted to the nut house for an attempted suicide. Quote, her arrival is followed shortly thereafter by the return of Nancy Thompson, all grown up and ready to treat others for the debilitating nightmares that she suffers from. Will Nancy be able to help this new group of kids or will they suffer the same fate as her friends? Freddie turns into a graboid. Too much TV will fry your brains, and drugs are bad, okay? If you think you'll get out alive, you must be dreaming. Shut up. (laughs) Body counting this. Back down again to six, uh, although there are good ones in this one. Yes. Uh, Counted. 34 non-counted. Philip Anderson has his tendons ripped out and then walked off of a building as a puppet. That was my that was my ultimate kill. Sorry, it it was mine too. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead. That looked painful as fuck. Every that kid sold that. I mean, like the look on his face. That and that reason, this movie horrified me as a kid. It was that scene in particular that did it. Yes, and watching him in not real life, but like when his uh, roommate saw him sleepwalking, he was selling it there too. Yep, yep. He had to look a pain on his face, even if they couldn't see his tendons ripped out like yeah. he was seeing them in his dream. Uh, Jennifer Caulfield has her head smashed through a TV. Uh, Taryn White, uh, she gets the Stu Mocker Award for that one. Uh, <laughs> she does. Taryn White is injected with a lethal overdose of drugs. Uh, Will Stanton is stabbed in the chest with... Although Heather Langenkamp will return in one of the future movies we'll discuss, being stabbed in the gut with finger knives uh, from her daddy, of all people, uh, and then died later. Uh, non-counted deaths in this is Freddy Krueger, uh, laid to rest by Neil Gordon. Uh, we say non-counted because even though he dies in this movie, obviously it doesn't take. Uh, Amanda Krueger is revealed to have died some long t- some time ago. Neil Gordon is possibly killed off screen at the end by Freddy Krueger. There are 22 floating corpses seen hanged in a nightmare. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kristen's. That's actually a very effective scene, like seeing all those dead kids in that room. Yeah. And then the little nightmare girl is seen as a skeleton. Oh, that, that was awesome. I loved that so much. You're hurting me. <laughs> and then she looks down and she's just a skeleton. Yeah. Uh, and then um, we have... Uh, uh, three Elm Street teens are reported to have committed suicide right before or right at the beginning of the movie. And then we have Zsa Zsa Gabor yes. flashed right after the TV is turned off and her and the nightmare that uh, 
that Jennifer is having. Um, I have to go back. I'm going to just add this in. You already said it, but the internet cut out. Um, Donald Thompson, who was impaled through the back with metal junk. Yes. Well, actually, I don't think you got to finish Will Stanton. Will Stanton, who was stabbed in the chest with finger knives. Donald okay. Thompson impaled through the back with metal junk. And then we, you came back around Nancy Thompson, but she was stabbed in the gut with finger knives. Yeah, and then I mentioned, sadly, about her own father, which is the most heartbreaking part of that scene because she thinks that she is being reunited with her father who's just yeah. died, and then it's Freddie, and whew, that's rough. Dirty. Um, uh, quotes. Uh, we have Dick Cavett on the TV in, in uh, Jennifer's Dream um, saying, can I ask you a question? And then Zsa Gabor is like, why, certainly. And then Dick Cavett turns into Freddy Krueger, who the fuck, or who gives a fuck what you think? And then he stabs her, uh, assumedly. <laughs> it kind of cuts off. Oh, my God. Uh, Freddy Krueger, welcome home, Taryn. Look familiar. And then she's like, okay, asshole. And then twirls her wrist blades, and she's like, let's dance, you know. Uh, <laughs> Pretty good moment for her in that, yeah. that scene. Uh, Max, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, saying, this lump over here, this is Ken Cade. Now, I want you to take a good look. See, he, he gets himself thrown in the quiet room so often that you probably won't see a whole lot of him. Ain't that right, Cool Breeze? And then Roland's like, right, I do it so I don't have to look at your ugly face all the time. And then Max is like, yeah, I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got to say one thing about um, Lawrence Fishburne. That, that man's got charisma. Like, oh, yes, yeah. he does. When he's on scene or on screen in this movie, he stands out. Yes. Like, you know. Well, he's also like nine foot tall, so there's that. That's true. He's standing away, heads and shoulders, literally above everybody else. But I mean, it's just also the way that he projects himself. Yeah. Uh, Will Stanton, after Nancy explains Freddy Krueger's history, that's crazy. Mom and Dad never mentioned any, and then Taryn interrupts saying, all right, that's the sort of thing parents tell their kids. Good night, darling. Say your prayers. Oh, and by the way, your father and I torched some maniac last night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Freddy uh, saying, well, Will, you look tired. Have a seat. And then Will Stanton's like, no, thanks. I'm fine just the way that I am. And then Freddy Krueger, for now, maybe. But when you wake up, it's back in the saddle again. Oh, my God. That is such a fucking dark thing yeah. that he says because it is hinted that the reason that Will is in the wheelchair is because that Freddy almost got to him prior to him being admitted. And that's why he is, uh, uh, you know, uh, this, you know, paraplegic or whatever. He's yeah. disabled. It's because that whatever the accident was that caused that was from Freddy to begin with. Now Freddy's taunting him. It's like, you don't have fucking legs in the real world, do you, bitch? You know, like that's so dark. Isn't you know? that how <laughs> nightmares work, though? Really? They just get to your. You know, they just get you to the core. They do, but it's just the fact that he's the responsible for it. Yeah. And he's just like throwing it back in this poor kid's face, you know. Um, visuals in this movie. Uh, there is some very, I mean, now there there is some weird janky shit with the CGI oh, yeah. skeleton, uh, <clears throat> which I love because it goes back to like Harryhausen type effects. Yeah. Like, you know, Clash of the Titans. Uh, Clash of the Titans and that sort of thing. And then even like uh, you want to go back and throw references back to Evil Dead because of the rivalry between Wes and, and Raimi. It almost looks like the skeletons in uh, Army of Darkness. Um, but, uh, and, and there are some weird like, you know, pre-CGI effects they did like with the uh, the perpetual motion machine whenever the, the little balls at the end of that, like, you know, kind of start floating up. And that that's why they recognize they're in the dream after they've been hypnotized. Yeah. But the prosthetic effects in this are amazing. Like that worm, Freddy, is probably the yes. best thing. 
You know what it reminded me of? Um, it reminded me of the, I think I tried to send you a photo of La Llorona eating the children at the house at HHN. And it oh, okay. looked very similar to that, except it was, you know, her face, my face, um, on it instead of Freddy Krueger. So, yes, I was loving that. That that scene, the scene later on, which is another horrible thing that's really dark about this movie, is not only that does Freddy kill these kids, he's absorbing their souls so they oh, can't yeah. even go on to the afterlife. Because this is the, the this is another good addition to this movie that it did that would let, be brought up in like every film afterward is that um, he has a scene or where like he tears his shirt open yeah. and you see the faces of the four the previous kids in the movie screaming in eternal torment. As yes. And it's like, it, he's not only killing these kids, but he's also, I mean, they're in perpetual hell within yeah. him. Like, within that, him, that, yeah. That is so dark. Like, I mean, it's it's such a dark addition to this movie. He, he swallowed the kids, much like... <laughs> Many women before him. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of some of the other visuals in this movie. I I, I love the stuff. This is more story-based, but it, it t- kind of times the visuals. The way that they portray Amanda Kruger is like this uh, this nun that only like Neil can see. And like yeah. it, it's almost got exorcist vibes to it. Yeah, it, she was creepy from the beginning. So, and um, it, not really intended to be, but I guess she was, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, and, and you can tell that she's more of a peaceful spirit and yeah. she's trying to set right what went wrong. But at the same time, the way that she appears is creepy. She's always like off to herself somewhere in the, the distance. Yeah. You know, whether it be in an abandoned building or whatever. So it, it's, it plays into that whole ghost thing pretty well, and which I, I'll enjoy that part of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, we can't talk about the visuals without talking about that tendon scene. Like, good Ooh. God. <laughs> good God. That was, um, that was rough. That was awesome, though. Yeah, I mean, they really sold the effects on that. Like, it really stands out. Oh, the time. ripped open areas of his legs. Like, because the slasher portion of it, you don't see anything. You just see Freddy slashing at him. You don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, you see the tendons come up. And then as he's walking, you start seeing the reality of the situation. And I think that the buildup to that was great. I think it's good how they did that and how they didn't just show you everything all at once. Oh, my God. I could feel it in my bones or my tendons. It it, it is so brutal the way that it's acted, the way that they made it look on film. And it it, it just, it's like, it's a big, that's the reason it gets best killed because it's a standout in the series. I mean, it was almost a waste that they wasted him so early in the film because he, he was obviously such an amazing actor. Um, They could have done this scene later and still had him carry out some pretty awesome scenes, I think. I think so too. Yeah, because that that kid did have a you know a pretty he, he stood out pretty well. So he it was kind of a loss to get rid of him yeah. like that. Uh, there's the scene with the, all the kids, like we said, hanging. You know, in in Kristen's nightmare, that was pretty well done. Yeah, I mean, it's really dark, kind of showing you all the other kids that have been taken from Elm Street in the year since Nancy and her you know group of friends were you know first. Uh, uh, plagued by, you know, Freddie. So, I mean, it, it shows the kill count is pretty high of these children, unfortunately. Um, could even be kind of they're symbolizing the kids that he killed before, but I got more of a vibe in this movie that it's like the kids that have been dying recently because the way that they were hanging stuff is suicide. Yeah. You know, and, and build into that whole thing. 
Um, they, the, I like the look of Nancy's house in this. Every time that Kristen goes to it in her dreams, because it's all run down. I mean, yes. you tell it's the same, you know, a very similar house, but it's like a just the nightmare version of oh, it. Oh, big time, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other things in the movie that really stood out. Um, let's see. I, I did like, I did like in the scene, the the scene with Taryn, the way that they they filmed that alley or whatever, and the, the the way that the light and the way you know, and that that this and that scene also is good because it's one of the first times we get the more of the jokey Freddy that we would get later on, like the way that he is with the the the, the heroin fingers or whatever. Oh yeah, that, that was fucked up. Yeah, I mean, you have this girl that, you, and that's another dark part of the movie. You have this girl who is shown that she's trying her best to recover from her abuses in the past, uh, both maybe physical and from uh, from drugs. Mm-hmm. She's got this creepy orderly that's been hitting on her that says that that's basically knows about her past, and he's offering her drugs and you know for sex. And you clearly tell that that there's a huge age difference and it's pedophilic. Mm-hmm. And then she gets in this dream and she talks about how it empowers her. She feels like a badass in her dreams and then the one thing that you know Freddie you know does the same thing to her that the other guy talked about you know kind of strengthening that pedophilic thing a little bit is that he deliberately overdoses her on the heroin inside of her dreams so yeah it's it's a very dark moment in that movie but the way that it's lit and the way that yeah. the alleyways filmed it's it's pretty good oh and the needles Oh yeah, and the, and the way that her arms have like the little mouths that are like begging yeah. for the needles in them too. That that was a pretty cool effect. Yeah, because I I prior to watching these three again for the show is I had seen one and three, but I had not seen two. Um, so yeah, I was a kid when I had oh, aren't weren't we all <laughs> when when we when I first saw this one. So yeah, that was wild. And then of course there's the weird tongue things of that course. like strap joey to the bed and that's a whole thing of itself you know <laughs> freddie and uh, his tongue man yeah yeah i mean he just he he's he's a woman again in that in that scene uh hitting on a boy so yeah there's that whole thing back from two but you know like his his t- he just literally takes his tongue out and just like you know uses it like this like kind of like one of those snap wrist things that yeah when back in the 80s it just completely latched around his hands and he was tied there oh my god uh story in this the story's great in this i think it's you got the kids who are committing suicide so you got that or you know supposedly and so now they're and it makes logical sense like the parents don't know what to do with them they think that they're committing self-harm out for other reasons because teenagers do that so they you know admit them to this mental institution which still isn't helping the kids because obviously freddie's right there and he can still you know take yeah You had the backstory about Amanda and how she, you know, like the, you know, 9,900 maniacs, however many it was that raped her and that, you know, he's the bastard son of. So it builds that backstory on the Freddy. Uh, and then you, um, you have the whole thing worked in to where it's almost like he's, it, it works in like old timey Gothic horror too, because hallowed ground has to be where you bury his bones, almost oh, like yeah. you know, Dracula or something. <laughs> or Supernatural. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. The holy water, mix all that stuff in. It, it kind of gives it like an, it ties it into older horror tropes. And then the fact that you've got like the return of the previous final girl uh, in the series, uh, you know, Nancy coming back. Uh, you know, uh, she's, I think this might be one of the first final girls to ever come back and yeah. like actually play a mental role to the new final girl in the movie. Uh, it does a lot of good stuff in the movie. 
I got a question. Um, did because maybe I missed something. So, uh, Mrs. Kruger, I'm just kidding. Was it Mrs. She was a nun, but um, so she she got raped. Yes, by a bunch of inmates that had escaped. Uh, yes. mental inmates of with that, which totally makes sense why Freddy Krueger is partially the way he is. I mean, for many reasons, I guess that's a good addition to the storyline. Um, yeah. She's dead, but she clearly didn't die from the excessive rape because she gave birth to a child. How did she die? Yes. What did I miss? They didn't mention, they never okay. mentioned how she actually died. It was like years later and it was assumed that she had like gave him up at some point and like, you know, went back to being a, you know, a nun. And, yeah. And, but that, that's about the extent of it, you know. Hmm. I wonder if she was, she had to have been forgiven by the church because she didn't consensually get pregnant. Yeah. I mean, and, and the fact that, um, and that was the other thing that's that's really twisted and dark about her. The backstory for her is because the reason that she, that you know it was like not that they would have. I don't know if they would have done this anyways. And that's uh, you can have that debate. We're not going to have it here. But like you know, abortion and Catholic yeah. Church and all that stuff. But um, it was months later, I think, or the way they described it, at least a month or two after when they finally opened that that building up and found out that she was in there. So she had, not only has she been raped multiple times over multiple days, weeks, you know, whatever. Yeah. But the pregnancy had already set by that point. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a very dark story to uh, a character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, and it's probably one of the darkest ones because, I mean, you got – it's funny you got Jason and and the, and the, the the parallel or the contrast between two of them are amazing. It's like you got Freddy who was you know came about because of fire killing his original form, so he's the fire. Yeah. Jason's the water drowned. Yeah. When I was a kid came back. Uh, Jason's mother was overprotective of him, loved yeah. him to death, you know. But then like Freddy's mom like deliberately is trying to end his existence because she sh he should have never existed in the first place. So it's like it's it's weird between the two of them as far as like, you know, they're polar opposites. Late term abortion. <laughs> yeah, she's going for a late term abortion. She's like, it's it's a little bit more accepted now, right? You yeah. Know, it's, it's 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 no longer the forties. We can get by with this. Um but um store but that that's do you have any i mean do you have any problems with the story as it is like any complaints about it no not at all i i actually really loved this story because once again i loved dream warriors because that's exactly what the kids were in this uh powered by one very strong uh leading final girl uh and then you have you know a little like i said just a smidgen added to freddy krueger's backstory which makes him even like not even not more likable less likable in a sense but like more villainous it just makes um, sense yeah yeah he's he's darker and more evil yeah. in this movie even it but it, but he's like there's more of that yeah. personality coming out so and he's a product of mental illness yeah, this, this movie is like a good transition uh, film for Freddy because it's it, he's still he's as dark as he is just about as I mean outside of two as he'll ever get as far as like the kills and how brutal he is. But he's got the personality that will eventually be the highlight of him going forward in the later yeah. sequels. You know? So I liked that. I mean, I think everything that they put in this 
I don't know. To me, it just all made sense. So. Yeah, I, 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 there's there's really no part of this movie. I mean, outside, I mean, and I even love the janking as far as like those Harryhausen effects. I mean, yeah. like they're, they're, they're fun for what they are. They're so. comical, but they're still scary. Um, acting in this movie is improved across oh, the board. Oh, God. And majorly by, well, I mean, all new people. But then you had, I mean, you got Freddy Krueger. You got Nancy, who was already, you know, in the previous, well, the first one. Uh, obviously, Heather, she's improved. And Heather's way better in this movie than she yeah, was she in the is. first one. Well, she's also a little bit older, too. And then yeah. you got Patricia Arquette, who was destined to be a pretty decent actress. Yes, I mean, playing, you know, like... Um, uh, a lot of it, uh, I mean, she she got both like the um, you know the the verbal, but also the facial, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, acting in this movie yeah. quite, uh, down pretty well. And the rest of the kids actually did a great job, uh, considering they're supposed to be your typical eighties, maybe potentially one off kids. You, we don't know where their careers are going to go or not. You know? Yeah, I mean, the, there's really no ones that, or there's really not one that I can think is bad. They all play their parts the way that they're supposed to be played. Yeah, the the actress who played Taryn, she you 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 can tell like the darkness in her past and how yeah. she's trying to overcome it. She she gives that to the character. Kincaid's more of a one note like anger based character, but yeah. he plays it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nerdy kid Will is, I mean, he. He plays a nerdy kid. I mean, he he kind of reminds me of like a young Stephen King. The way yeah. they got him looking at this movie. Um, the the one kid with the puppets is is not in the movie enough, but you know, he's got a person good personality to him right before he's taken out. Yeah, and he acted his ass off in that scene with the the pain. Yeah, and then and then the one kid that's the mute in the movie. Yeah, I mean, you know that only he, has a voice in a dream. Isn't that like a real life situation? I bet you that's how it is for someone who can't speak in real life. They can speak in their dreams or someone who can't walk in real life can walk in their dreams. You know, I, I've heard that. And it, you know, it may, it might be a, you know, a, a thing that's, that's weird to comprehend. Like, but there's, there's stories about how people uh, who are like blind and deaf say that they can either see or hear in their dreams. too. Yeah. Like, I mean, they get those senses back. So, um, but yeah, we, uh, we get all that. And then we, um, I mean, and we got like even the side characters like Lawrence Fishburne. They they stand out. They're good. Oh actors, yeah, you know. Uh, the actor who plays Neil is good at what he's doing in the role. Saxon's playing the uh, disheveled. Uh, you know, I mean, he's went through some shit. Still doesn't believe any of it. Or refuses to believe. It. He actually gives off the vibe that he believes it, but he refuses to accept that it was actually a thing. Uh, he he plays that so well in that scene uh, in his scenes that he's in the movie. Yeah, um, just cross board. I think that's good acting. Uh, the music in this—they return back to the original style music, um, and it has some. Um, it has the Dawkins song that is like famous for this film. They made a music video and everything. Out oh of yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, return to form on music too. I mean, across the board. It's, oh, definitely. It, to me, it's a better movie. Uh, are you, anything you want to say about it before we move on to trivia? No. Um. On the VHS release, the music video for Dawkins' Dream Warriors appeared after the credits. The video contains many scenes from the movie and ends when the band vanquishes Freddy, causing him to wake up from his own nightmare and ask, who were those guys? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, that's that's another reason why Freddy's beloved. It's little things like that where he's like the meta commentary about, you know, like he can, you know, joke around about shit like that. Yes. 
Uh, Kevin Sagos uh, stated in a uh, interview that he really didn't want to audition for the role of Kincaid, but his agent talked him into going. On the day of the audition, he walked in heavy rain to catch a bus location. He showed up completely drenched and had to sit and wait for hours due to the auditions running late. When it was his turn, the director, Chuck Russell, told him, do whatever you want to do. Sagos was so frustrated and mad about the horror deal that he yelled, fuck you, and then immediately proceeded to scream and curse at Russell. Russell immediately hired him. That went like the wow because I feel like that would not happen like that now because that takes let uh, I me mean, like it doesn't necessarily take real talent but that was like the passion coming out of this kid and I don't really know that like casting directors see that nowadays. Um, no, it, it's just hilarious that, that he basically by him getting so pissed off at the situation he was in and cussing out the actual director of the movie is what got him the job. Yeah, I'm glad it did. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, Robert England admits that he knew Patricia Arquette would go on to be a big star one day. He also explained to all the guys on the set were head over heels in love with her. Uh, between takes, some of them would even go to England to get his advice on whether or not they thought he had they had a chance with her and should ask her out. Oh my god, that must have been so <laughs> awkward for him. Poor guy. I mean, he probably loved it, you know. But like, like, like how old was he in comparison to her? You know. Uh, he would have probably he was in his like thirties or so, I think, during the filming. Yeah, this, and maybe, she's probably so. in her twenties, so like he was probably still somewhat, even though he's not that much older than her, probably still somewhat of a father figure to her, Daddy Freddy, yeah. you know. And then you got these guys like, how do I get with Chris? Like, that's kind of my on screen, yeah, on set daughter. I'm not going to tell you any of this. Yeah, fucking weirdos. <clears throat> Wes Craven's original premise for the film involved Freddy invading the real world and haunting the actors and crew responsible for Nightmare on Elm Street films, uh, which was inspired by Return to Horror High in 87, uh, which was another meta-horror movie at the time. However, this idea was rejected by the studio for being too ambitious, but Craven would later use it to make New Nightmare in 94. I like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good concept for a movie. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Rubin was told by some of her fans that her character, Taryn, had caused them to quit drugs, and the actress is very proud of that fact. Oh, good for her. Uh, for the dream sequence in which Dick Cavett interviews interrupted by Freddy Krueger, Sally Kellerman was originally in the script uh, as the guest, but Cavett was then allowed to pick the person he'd be interviewing. Uh, he picked Zsa Zsa Gabor because he thought she was the dumbest person he'd ah! ever met in his life, and he'd never have her on his show in real life, so if there was one person he'd want to see killed by Freddy, it would be her. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Um, I have to circle back, though. We have to go back to those people that looks like, you helped me get off of drugs. I wonder if she scared them off of taking drugs. Uh, I'm sure it was a combination of the scare, but also the fact that her, I mean, she really is playing a character. Yes. Like you can sense that she's got an inner strength that she's like trying to overcome all this. And yeah. they see that in the case, you know, talk, you talk about representation. It doesn't have to be along, you know, sexual identification or race or anything. It can be just like personal, like life history. And she's one of those representatives of that, like people who's on drugs. It's like, they see that character. They see the trauma, like I said, in her face, like the way that she brings that to the character and they're yeah. like, shit, that's me. You know, like when I see a character that has diabetes, <laughs> when Wilford Brimley's on screen, yes. <laughs> I feel it in my bones. 
Uh, at around 29 minutes, when the clay puppet's face turns into Freddy's, uh, special effects man Doug Beswick used stop-motion animation. Uh, filming began when clay Freddy face began with a clay Freddy face that was made plainer in each frame. The result was then run backward uh, so that it appears, uh, and it appears uh, in the final cut of the film. What? Um, Claymation? I could barely tell. <laughs> Uh, but I, I love, I still love it as janky as it is. Yeah. Um, for one week during filming, Robert England was working 24 hours every ah. day. By day, he was wrapping up filming on his television series downtown. And then he would report to Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors set at nights. Um. Once after a tiring day on set, he fell asleep in his dressing room, still oh, yeah. in full Freddy makeup. And when he awoke and looked in the mirror, he got a terrible scare. That's the fucking best, dude. I love that. <laughs> I feel so bad for you. Talk, Freddie causes people not to be able to sleep, but Robert England in real life couldn't sleep because of him filming the movie. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, at around 38 minute mark, Jennifer uh, is watching the movie Critters. Oh, my God. Wait, hold on. I got to back it up just a little bit. <clears throat> Said he worked about a week, working 24 hours a day. That, while I don't think that's necessarily untrue, he had to have at least 15 minute, 20 minute sleeps here and there like mm -hmm. he just can't survive no i mean he wasn't like the whole week like going 24 hours yeah. a day but i mean he was literally whatever breaks he wasn't gave him. yeah sleeping he was sleeping yeah yeah <laughs> he wasn't having genuine real sleep anyways uh i just love the fact that critters is yes. shown in this movie and then later uh freddie is shown in critters too like i love that i like the, the crossovers that they're doing here and it's like it's like a friendly rivalry, you know? <laughs> like they're trying to be dicks, but they're really not. If anything, they're promoting. Yeah, it's cross-promoting uh, cross between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, Wes Craven had nothing to do with the first sequel, uh, Freddy's Revenge, as he didn't believe the uh, Elm Street franchise was spawning, or uh, Elm Street was capable of spawning a franchise. The success of the second film outgrossing the original convinced him otherwise. Money talks, bitch. It does, but also you can tell he wasn't a part of the second one. Oh, yeah, for sure you could tell that he wasn't a part of that one. At around 51 minutes for the sexy nurse scene, the set was flipped Ugh. so that Rodney Eastman was standing up when he appears to be strapped to the bed. He had to be spread eagled for so long that he actually passed out. <gasps> he compared this experience to a crucifixion. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Literally. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Kristen uh, comes across a uh, classic nightmare image of a roasted pig oh, on I love table, that. and it comes to life. That was actually another good visual in the movie. I loved that, yeah. Uh, yeah so they actually roasted a pig, let it spoil, and then the prop guys puppeted the, the rotting corpse from beneath. Uh, the poor guy who was actually behind the camera, cinematographer Roy H. Wagner, claims that the pig stench was so overwhelming that he can still smell it to this day. Oh, fucking it haunts him. Yeah, that's like the story we talked about, like the uh, dinner scene and um, or the final scenes in uh, Texas Chainsaw where all that rotted yeah. meat was like just causing everybody to literally hallucinate at that point. In the scorching summer heat. Yep. Uh, for writer for writing credit, uh, for Oscar nominated, it was it's the first writing credit for Oscar nominated writer and director Frank Darabont. He went on to do a lot of good movies, so that's nice. it's 
Special effects creator Mark Showstrom uh, created a desiccated little girl corpse, uh, which Kristen was discovered she was holding, but it was decided that the item was too grotesque because they were going to have her more of a zombie look. Oh. A miniature skeleton was used instead. I, I like the skeleton. I think it's a good I, little effect. I thought it was funny, but it, it was also effective. Um, it didn't look too cheap. I just loved the way that it worked out. It's like, you're hurting me, and you look down. I did expect to see a zombie type character, but instead I saw the skeleton. I fucking loved it. Yeah, it's it's got a nice little uh, I don't know. It's 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 a nice little effect or whatever, just the, for the jokiness of it, you know. Versus like if it had been like I imagine if it had been like a rotting like you know zombie look for the kid, it would have been more disturbing. But there's a funness about it, it yeah. Being a skeleton in place of it, yeah. In Wes Craven's original script, uh, Freddy was supposed to be born uh, at the beginning of the film in a ranch-style house, which was supposed to be the place where his victims wound up, revealing that was why Freddy always came back again and again in the dream world, as, as that was his original resting. Um, also, Nancy and her father were supposed to burn it down, but Freddy's influence on it wasn't allowed to happen un until they eventually do in the climax where it takes the last survivor Kristen back in time when Freddy was born, whom tries to kill her. She would throw the infant Freddy across the wall many times, uh, wraps the Freddy glove for a good grip and stabs the baby with a glove. Damn. So you would send baby Freddy uh, killed in the past uh, with his own glove. That that's, it's, that's interesting. Yeah. Fucking brutal. <laughs> Uh, the original Freddy Snake, and that's what it's called, for all euphemisms thrown in there, unintentionally came out looking too phallic. Uh, the crew only had one hour to film the scene, so they didn't have enough time to paint it, so it was covered in a green goose substance to overcome the pinkish hue that made it look like a penis. The scene involving the Freddy Snake attempting to swallow Kristen was also filmed backwards and then played in reverse due to the gums on the puppet being too flexible and were folding over themselves. <laughs> Uh, in interviews with the cast and crew of the DVD commentary, it is revealed that the original idea for the film centered around the phenomena of children traveling to a specific location to commit suicide, which dreams of Freddy Krueger eventually, uh, with dreams of Freddy Krueger eventually discovered to be a common link between the youth. At the time, teen suicide was a taboo social issue, and this led to the abandonment of that storyline, although some aspects remained within the film's version, which still depicts uh, suicide and self-mutilation. This was deemed less controversial because these acts are committed with Freddy's distinct influence, yeah. inserting enough fantasy in the acts to remove them from supposed controversial exploitation of disturbed use. I think that so, was smart. Yeah. Um, the the idea of, though, like a place where they all commit suicide, it's got more of a ring of like the sinister movies. I don't I know you haven't seen those, mm -hmm. but like, because we discussed during like ghost season, but like, that's kind of the, like these kids are like murdering their families because they're ordered to by Bagul or whatever. Yeah. So like, um, it's, there's a, but yeah, the, I, I think that it was better that they went more in the Freddy's causing these suicides. And, uh, in the final shooting script, one of the warriors dreams up a giant Transformers-style robot to fight Freddy. This sequence even made it to the storyboard stage, but budgetary constraints made filming. Um, I'm glad that they they didn't uh, include that. <laughs> I don't think it would have fit yeah. just the same way. Uh, Chuck Russell made his directorial debut with this movie. Delivered called for a twenty million dollar budget to pull off all the effects, even though they were only, they only had four point five million 
to work with. The result was an incredibly tense set, not a particularly ideal setting for Patricia Arquette to make her film debut. On her first day of filming, the production was already her scenes until 4 a.m., by which point she had forgotten her lines. It takes a, it would took 52 takes of her feebly making her way through it before they simply fed her the lines via cue cards behind the camera. Oh, my God. Ar- Arquette has stated that it wasn't a He may have pushed her a bit too hard during the filming of that. Uh, Robert England wrote a treatment for this movie. It wasn't used, so he actually like actual like idea for this movie but they didn't use it hmm. uh the only film out of the first six not to begin with a nightmare scene uh Wes wait Craven hold on stop with... for a second i had to think i have to think it didn't start with a nightmare scene uh no because this is the the scene in this is where patricia or arquette's character oh is she's like... building the house She's building the house, okay. Nancy's house, and then her whore mom, you know, another whore mother comes in there, and she's like, why do you do it up so late? I'm getting ready to bang a guy, you know, that sort of thing. So. Yeah, but it leads into a horror scene. <laughs> like, it, it's uh, not... Later on, they redo it later on in the movie. Okay, okay. Yeah, because uh, they, they all get separated, and then she thinks she's back at home, and it's all been a dream since then. No. And she's like, and, and she's like, oh, I'm just going to go to sleep, mother. And she's like, that's good, honey. And all of a sudden, Freddie comes, or like she disappears, real, she gets jerked back real quick. Freddie like rips her head off. And then like he's standing there with her corpse, you know, head, and he's got like this suit, like this bow tie and this like tuxedo on. And he's like, you know, goes on from that well so. no because at the beginning of the film from what i saw hold on because it's basically saying it's okay to not begin with the nightmare scene but it like the beginning is because she like falls asleep and then she goes okay. into a nightmare though. okay that makes it okay i i see that yes all right because i'm like yeah. wait a second but it wasn't that far off so no i mean it, it goes to it pretty quick but okay. it, it's in the real world to start out with versus the, the other ones uh, we've already mentioned that, uh, David Arquette is actually Patricia's brother mm-hmm. and their dad, as we mentioned on the scream, uh, podcast played their uh, played in part two or of the uh, scream movies as the sheriff. So yes. kind of got the whole Arquette family going in these movies. <laughs> Uh, in real life, Ira Hayden, Will, was a Dungeons & Dragons uh, dungeon master during high school, which made him feel secure in the role, uh, which he thinks is the reason why he got the part of Will to begin with. Nice. Uh, director Chuck Russell stated in an interview that the mirror sequence was very difficult to do. He stated that it was before CGI, so they had to uh, get really inventive. They were literally manipulating Mylar in front of the cameras to get the shot done. Wow. Um, you got to get creative on a string budget, especially back in the day when you didn't have computers to just fancy it up and make it it look, you know. Mm -hmm. It's a known fact that the Freddy Glove was stolen from the set of this specific movie. Uh, Chuck Russell gave a recent interview and gave a little bit more of an explanation as the circumstances of how it was stolen. Apparently two hardcore Freddy fans stuck in, snuck into the set, disguised themselves as movie grips. Uh, nobody had noticed the two throughout the day. And while on break, they grabbed the Freddy glove and left while no one was looking. Um, Reverend and I can neither confirm or deny our locations during that time. (laughs) We wasn't like six and five at the time. Yeah. You know, no big deal there. Uh, I wonder if their names were uh, Glenn and Jason. (laughs) Yeah, shut up. 
<laughs> At around 15 minutes when Nancy meets the teenage patients, Philip says, welcome to the snake pit. Snake pit is a slang term for the mental health facility, for a mental health facility, and was a common slang term throughout most of the 20th century. Um, and then she gets I, attacked I wondered, by a snake. I wondered snake. about that line when he showed up, so that's the reason I put this in here. Yeah. Uh, this is the first movie in the main uh, in which the main antagonist is slowly solely referred to as Freddy Krueger. In the first two films, he is mostly called Fred Krueger. Frederick. <clears throat> Winona Ryder actually auditioned for the role of Kristen, but director Chuck Russell felt that Ryder was too young for the role. Ryder would later become engaged to Johnny Depp, who starred in the first film in the series. I think that was a mistake. I think so, too. I think Winona would have knocked it out of the fucking park in this movie. Yeah, and not only that, she would have knocked it out. But, I mean, I'm not disappointed with Patricia Arquette. I think she did an amazing job, so I don't want to take away, uh, you know, he for, he felt that for whatever reason, but I wonder if he regrets that. I just think it's kind of weird that Depp and Ryder have, like, this connection. And, like the, and then, like, at the same time, because we mentioned it on the um, – the Sleepy Hollow uh, episode uh, during Ghost Season, the fact that, like, Christina Ricci was, like, literally, like, a kid that both of them knew, like, yeah. in one of the movies. It's like the, all of the, the Tim Burton people, like, knew each other prior oh, to yeah. becoming in Tim Burton films, it seems like. That's true. <laughs> uh, the movie was intended to be the last Nightmare movie, and it was shot that way with the ending of the film. Uh, suggest that Freddie uh, may not be all dead. A scene in the shooting script makes it clear that was not the case. In the scene where Dr. Gordon visits Kristen a few days after, uh, in the scene, Dr. Gordon visits Kristen a few days after Freddie's defeat, Kristen reveals that she is moving to New York, uh, New York, the city that never sleeps, which is funny given where Scream's going in the new movie. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Um, when Dr. Gordon asks her if she's going, if, if she's going to see her referring to Nancy in her dreams, Kristen answers that she dreams of her every night, suggesting that Nancy is now guarding her in her dreams. Wow. Um, the scene then cuts to an ending, which plays in the finish as it was scripted in which Neil is sleeping and a light turns on in the lighthouse or in the house model. It is implied that Nancy, not Freddie actually turned on the light as she is guarding Gordon as well. But in the movie, without all that context, it almost seems like Freddy is the one that turns on that, you know, on yeah. the house slide. <clears throat> I like that there's no context because clearly we get more movies. So I, I like it, but at the same time, I feel like Nancy, that was a better ending for her to go on to be like a, you know, like she's not only, she not only defended, you know, children in real life, you know, like now that she's in the dream world. And, She's Freddy's foil that way. I, I like that idea of her yeah. as the final girl standing up to him in the dream world now. Yeah. Uh, at around 40 minutes, Robert England uh, improvised quite a few of Freddy Krueger's one-liners, uh, but the best-known example happened in the scene where Freddy emerged from the television set and killed Jennifer by smashing her head into it. For this scene, his line in the script was, this is it, Jennifer, your big break on TV. Robert England said this line for the first two takes, but on the third take, when Chuck Russell went for an alternative angle shot, Robert England changed it to, welcome to primetime, bitch. <laughs> Chuck Russell couldn't decide which version to use, so he added the two together. The cam different camera angle made it easy to edit the two lines together, and it became possibly Freddy's defining one-liner, and yes, that is the best Freddie quote for oh the Death Hollow Awards. It is the best quote that Freddie ever says, period. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> I mean, you can't get any better than that. It's just like, welcome to primetime. It's just so good. Yeah. Like, it is so good. 
Uh, originally, Taryn's character's head was set to explode after being injected with Freddy's syringes, but it looked too fake, so they couldn't make the movie. Man! Uh, although it seems uh, the Kruger killed Elaine Parker, Kristen's mother, he did not, as she appears in the next film, spoiler alert, I know <laughs> on the street, part four, The Dream Master. Uh, hold on just a second here. I have to scroll back down to this. I hate the one thing bad about working on a, a, a laptop that's an Apple product is that like some of the, some of the times whenever you're like, you, you go to scroll, like if you scroll just the wrong way, it thinks that you're meaning to like completely go back. And oh like yeah. Completely removes you from like everything. <laughs> how dare you have an Apple product? Yeah. How I dare I do that? So shocked and appalled after all we've been through with our Google pixels. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's sometimes you just got to do the best you can and that's, that's how it goes. Uh, you want me to start with it and then you can catch up? Yeah, I'll catch up. Go okay. ahead with it. The scene in which Neil Gordon, Craig Wasson is throwing, is thrown into the grave and partially buried by the skeleton of Freddie is a tribute to body double 1984 in which Wasson's character is similarly bur- uh, buried alive. Yeah, I thought that was kind of neat that they had him in two different films where he basically has the same thing happen to him yeah. uh, over the course of both movies. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Yeah, the Nancy's death was in Wes Craven's original Dream Warriors screenplay. Although much of the finished film had nothing to do with his script, he, was re- he is responsible for Nancy's death more than anyone else. He created her in Nightmare on Elm Street, and he's the one that killed her in this movie. Wow. Way to go. Uh, way to go. Uh, at around 36 minutes, the movie on television that Jennifer watches before she dies as Critters and the very short clip just before she switches to the Dick Cavett show featuring Donald Pleasance is a scene from Alone in the Dark, which was written by or directed by Jack Shoulder. So they were throwing back again to, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 in a, in a roundabout sense. Yeah. So they were kind of working in multiple things there. Death Holler Awards for this movie. What do you think about Kristen as a father? Um, well, I like it because she's a dream warrior. She's a Reina. So I looked it up while we were like talking earlier. And, uh, it's funny because at this time period, both this movie and, uh, or uh, nightmare and then Friday the 13th, because when we get to part seven, when we start that series back up, that has one of the most better known final girls in that series, because she's a psychic, like a Carrie like person. And it's funny that both of them had a psychic character, Final Girl, in the in both of the movies. Like Kristen's psychic ability is she can pull others into her dream, uh, in her dreams, which is good in this movie because uh, that empowers her. But it's actually a bad thing that Freddie uses against her in Part Four because she he uses her as bait to get other people in her dreams, and then that's how he's able to. I think they set it up in that movie, if I remember right, that when we get there. But, like, I think the setup is that he can't escape Elm Street. He can only kill the kids on that street, and he's pretty much done all that he can there. And he breaks free of Elm Street, his restriction that way, because he uses Kristen's power to bring other kids from other areas, and that's how he starts attacking the other parts of Springwood. Yeah, she's not just a dream puller. She doesn't just pull people. Well, excuse me, not just a lucid dreamer. She's a dream puller. Um, it's not something I do in my dreams. 
that. I mean, like, I've, and it's not something I've really heard of as a phenomena. Have I had my dog in my dream guiding me who sleeps right next to me? Yeah, but that doesn't mean I pulled him into it or anything or that he invited himself. Um, she does have a power, though, other than that, once she's in her dream, she's got, like, acrobatic skills. It's one of the least of all yeah. the other kids, but her main power is, like, so strong that it has to be lighter versus all their abilities, too. Yeah. Um, but she serves a part well. She's a vulnerable character. She stands up to Freddie later. She's got the mentor and the previous final girl, Nancy, and then has to watch her mentor die right in, in her hands, basically. Yeah. I mean, she she goes through a lot. So, I mean, she she's up there. She's, I mean, Nancy's still the final girl for this series. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, but Kristen's not bad. No, know? not at all. Uh, Freddie's... Like I said, this is the transition film. This is the best version we have, Freddie, as far as the scary with the charismatic. This is the best we get because he goes more goofy, jokey, starting in part four. He's still menacing in part four, but he starts that. he He's like probably 60, 40 goofy versus yeah. menacing in that one. This one's a good split. And ad-libbing his own lines, too. Yes, um, but that that's why a lot of people consider this the best sequel because this is the best version of uh, w- of the things they like about Freddy. We get the best out of him in this movie. Yeah. Uh, best kill. We've already said it, the the puppet scene with the the nerves, the tendons coming yes. out of the you know jo- or the you know um, it's not Joey, but the other kids like arms like that. So brutal. Like, and you can't get that another slasher just because it's so ridiculous. It only works inside of a dream, which is you know in Freddy's wheelhouse. Like. I mean, you would never get that in Ghostface movies. They're, you know, they're two. They're set in the real world, basically, give or take. And um, uh, I just, I mean, there's n- the only other slasher that I could see trying to do something like this is probably uh, uh, Art the Clown from Terrifier. Oh yeah. Blah. Yeah, he he would legit try this in reality, but he's the only other slasher that would. Uh, best scream, uh, probably Kristen in this one during the, the Freddy snake scene. Um, it still doesn't beat Jesse. <laughs> There's no beating that scream. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And nothing, nothing's ever going to compare. No, no. Uh, but she does have the, I mean, it's good that you your best, uh, scream queen in the movie is, is your final girl. You kind of want that if, yeah. you know, for it to work. Uh, this is the best Freddy quote ever. Welcome to primetime bitch. I mean, you, it, it, it's so good. Like, yeah. it's just, it's, it's what everybody like, like I was talking to Cody and like, that was the thing. Like we looked at each other and like, that was the line we both quoted at the same time. Like everybody knows this line like that. It stands out. Uh, and we can actually give a legit best boobs in this podcast. So uh, <laughs> cue the clapping, you know, awards sound that we don't have uh, the nurse and Joey's dream. My God, we we got some good boobs in this movie. Were they good <laughs> boobs? Half when it was half burnt. Uh, they were not. Not when she first starts like undressing. They okay. turn into burnt, but they they start out pretty fine, and then they <laughs> then they then they turn into Freddy, and then you're then you're weirded out as a kid. You're like, mm, mm. It, it's sad. <laughs> It's this is probably gonna get me in trouble. It's almost the effect that guys have now, like the traps that you have on the internet where you're like, yeah. that chick ain't bad looking, and it's like I'm trans. It's like, oh what? Big old wiener uh, comes flopping out. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we, we got that in the eighties with Freddie in this scene. So there you go, folks. Uh uh what is that? 
40 years ahead of its time, basically, give or take. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I don't know if they legit have any breasts in the rest of the series. I was, I actually was going to take that that whole thing out of this entire thing and not even like put that in as a award for the series. And then whenever that happened, I'm like, nope, they're going back in. Though, 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 we had some tits in this movie. Thank God. Uh, Hot nurse character. knockers. The nurse knockers and the, and and I've already mentioned it. They had that classic nurse outfit. That, oh you know, yeah, the, the fetish nurse outfit that doesn't even exist. But you know, maybe it still existed in the eighties. I don't know. Uh, I guess she's wearing a white thong too. Hmm. Uh, best side character probably Taryn or Max. Um, I to me at least. I, yeah. I liked both of them for different reasons, but I think Taryn probably. I, I liked the 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 tormented character that that actress bought brought and she but they also the empower that that scene is almost like heartbreaking when you know yeah. what happens to her later where she's like i'm a badass in my dream and you and you feel for her. it's like you know you, you're happy for her, but then you also know you're sad because you know what's going to happen to her later um and then what uh, how knowing it's doom prophet amanda Kruger is the doom prophet in this movie oh yeah she is and, i wouldn't so much say annoying but creepy creepy i don't yeah the only thing she adds is a creep effect and obviously she adds the storyline but like she's not really doing anything no she's the classic woman in white that's yeah just kind of you know like there but she she serves the purpose of the doom prophet because even though Kristen and the kids are telling everybody the only person who really gets that through to neil in a in a, a beside nancy does to a degree but the only one who really convinces him later on is, is amanda like yeah. she's the one that like you know gets him on on that side um dumbest moment is uh donald thompson refusing to help neil even when he's seeing clear signs of the supernatural oh yeah but isn't that's just how it goes, though, you know? Yeah, it is. It just pissed me off because, I mean, he, he's, he, and, and that's another heartbreaking thing about this movie. When you break down and you really delve into what's going on in this movie, Nancy, after all the trauma she went through, uh, you know, and that was something I don't think I put in the original notes for part one. But there, you can clearly tell in part one that she, who, which, parent she's you know she associates more with she calls her mother mother which is about as you know yeah uh, nondescript as you can get but she calls her dad daddy like you know and that, that there's a that she really loves her father in that movie like yeah. he's the one parent that she associates with and in this movie it goes to show that after everything that happened he completely pulled away from her and like that was the one parent that she relied on and she had to live the rest of all those years up until the, the her end in this movie basically estranged from the one parent that that she cared about yeah so it, it's really dark like and and he and him being like a drunk i mean that fits given the fact that he's trying to constantly like bury all that stuff but it just it, he has one time to redeem himself in this movie and then like he and you see him like trying to hop back in the vehicle and like back away when all the other cars are like flashing their lights and all that shit and like it's just like come on yeah stop being a, a piece of shit and actually stand up your daughter's actually about to die won't you know help her you know Nope, no, um, I'm just kidding. No, no, I'm going to appear as a dream. You know, well, it's Freddy, but still, I'm going to appear in her dreams, make her think that everything's fine, then I'm going to kill her. That's what I'm going to do. For yeah. Her. Uh, <laughs> it's there's so much dark in this movie. It really is like psychologically. Um, yeah, I mean, but they're like <laughs> they they they're good because 
I think it is, it's a good mix. They, there is so much darkness in all of these films, and psychologically they can fuck somebody up. And that is, let's be honest, not a lot of people are lucid dreamers. Uh, for the most part, most people aren't and don't have control of their dreams. And I'm sorry, but even as a lucid dreamer, shit gets real in your fucking dreams, and it gets scary, and it will fuck you up. So it is a good thing that, you know, Freddy Krueger is the character that he is, and that, you know, Robert England puts in the efforts to kind of add some comic relief to kind of make it to where you can make it to the end of these movies, you know? You're still going to be fucked up a little bit, but, like, it's... He makes it bearable, you know? The funniest thing is, is as a kid, these were the only slasher movies that I could actually watch without, like, completely being, like, frightened out of my mind. Yeah. Well... I say that I, I I didn't like the the Halloween movies really. They to me they were kind of I mean even then they were kind of dull like and I mean we'll get to that when we cover that series. I've grown I, I appreciate them now. But yeah. Like, as a kid, but <clears throat> I saw the dark humor later on in the original Texas Chainsaw, so that was a different one. But I, between Freddie and Jason, I, Jason scared the shit out of me. <laughs> like I mean I could not watch those movies. I refused to. So uh, it funny. took me years before I warmed up, and that's why part six was my favorite, you know, and I, because I, I was like, I'm going to finally watch these, and that, that was the one that I started on and, like, you know, got the whole thing rolling. But I watched Freddy way before that because it was the joking that allowed me to, eat, you know, ease into those movies and allowed me to actually say, okay, I can watch this because even though it's dark, he, he's, he's making jokes, you know. Did you have parents that encouraged you watching scary films at all? No, they they didn't they didn't restrict me nor did they you know okay uh, encourage me either one like anything that I that I've picked up over my lifetime pop culture has been from like either friends uh, other people or on my own like my dad was sports twenty four seven if it wasn't a sport he he I, there wasn't even movies that my dad watched like wow on, he, I would I would catch him watching like westerns but like when I was a kid as soon as he came home it was the whatever ball game was on. He didn't care. Didn't care what sports was. Didn't care what the team was. Just so he had some sports team on the TV. That was literally what he did. And then my mom, like, she never, like, I remember she watched, like, some things, but it was more like true crime, that type of stuff, you know. And it's like, so neither one of them really watched any, like, major TV shows. So, like, you know, like anything that I watched as a kid, Goonies, Back to the Future, that was all me. Like, I was just like, I want to see this. That looks cool, you know. Yeah. And and then, like, horror movies, that was totally, like, I would go to the video store, like, my mom would take me there, and I'd be like, you know, I'd go over and just grab a, you know, Friday film, or I mean, yeah. a, a Nightmare on Elm Street film, go take it up there, and they they would look, and my mom's like, yeah, that's fine, you know, and then I'd take it home and watch it, and that's it, so. <laughs> yeah, um, I, obviously, my parents didn't encourage me to watch horror films. In fact, they scared me into not watching them, and did scare me when we did watch them. So I was tormented in that sense. But um, I don't know because then the reason why I bring it up is because now, we, like I said, I, I've been joking the past few, quite a few episodes now that we got the kids now that love these films, you know, watch them religiously. Uh, they'll pop on the TV and the kids are like, yep, you know, and it's like, but they've never been scared of it. Not like we were. It's a whole different generation of kids. You know, so it's like, I feel like parents back in the day, they didn't have horror, so I can't really necessarily blame them. And they didn't have horror like we have horror. They had universal horror, which was cool. It's classic, you know. Um, 
even if you, I mean, like our parents would have probably been teenagers in like the late seventies, give or take. Yeah. Um, they or, or somewhere, you know, in the seventies at, at some point, like they had movies like Rosemary's Baby. That was the type of horror That's movies true. they had, and then The Exorcist later on. They had some pretty dark ones as well, I guess. Yeah, you know, they they, uh, they did. I don't know. I just don't. I, I, they were either scared of it or they were weirdos. <laughs> The, well, the funny thing was, is that like, uh, my mom talks about it, like when she was pregnant with, with me, like that she read like, you know, a serial killer's, uh, autobiography or, uh, you know, or not autobiographies, but like, you know, yeah. books written about serial killers. And that's what she, that's, and I don't know if that has anything to do with me, like being in that genre, like I, cause I, uh, true crime and like, I mean, serial killers are a different, you know, thing or whatever. You can find some interesting stuff, but just like basic true crime stuff for the most part, I just don't care about. Yeah. But like when it came to horror stuff, I mean, from the very first time I saw Frankenstein, the original, I was like, I'm hooked. I, I oh, love yeah. this shit. Like, you know, um, and, and the funny thing was, like, I spent my entire adult life, like, chasing that high of the, of the scare that I had yeah. whenever I was a kid. And, like, it's just so, it, it's one of those things that, like, horror fans, uh, you know, the curse and, you know, of, of being a horror fan, y- you get such good scares when you're a child, you never relive uh, you never get yeah. that thrill anymore later on you're just i mean you get kind of dead to it and that's, yeah when movies pop up that actually cause some of that <laughs> then then that's why they stand out for you that's i've heard plenty of people say i don't know why smile is so popular it was stupid to me it gave me the scare the like, yeah the heebie-jeebies the, uh, yeah, it gave me the chills that I, that I was looking for. I was like, "Shit, yeah! If you can still do that now, you're you're 100 percent in my wheelhouse." I I appreciate that. Oh yeah, no, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, I will say this, uh, you know, I don't have numb children. I was a good mom and started them off so young that they were terrified at some point in their life. Okay, so they didn't escape the terror. Uh, they were really little when they started watching horror films. So, uh, but but now in their teens, they're they're pretty numb to it. I mean, even my son, who still gets real scared, um, even he enjoys a good slasher. So you know. I wouldn't say that. I, I mean, I probably didn't end up watching any of these movies until I was probably about 10 or 11, but that yeah. was actually worse because like I said, that's the time period, uh, at least for me when I was having a bunch of nightmares anyways, just, oh boy. Uh, horm- hormonal stuff. Oh and yeah. Then, like these movies made it even worse because they were the most lucid nightmares I've ever had in my life. Most vivid ones I've ever had in my, in my life. And, and these movies were not making it any better at all. Yeah. Wait, uh, cause there's different types of lucid dreaming, but do you... I did have lucid dreams during that time period okay. too. Oh, yes, okay. They, they wasn't nightmares necessarily with the lucid dreams because those, when I took control of the dream, they okay. stopped being nightmares. I was going to ask, were you able to start? Do you are you able to take control of your dreams? I've only done that about two or three times that I'm aware of. One of okay. them, was, and I know there's like meanings attached to all these different type of dreams but one of them i was flying in the dream and uh-huh. like i took total control of it and like was controlling where i was flying to and all that stuff which is really cool yeah uh one of them i was on like a tropical island i remember that like it was so vivid and like it was so relaxing and it was just i i, I was it was vivid and lucid at the same time i was controlling what i was doing but it was like so vivid it felt real like i could feel the sun on my skin in that dream you know and then, like, there was one more where and this was a really weird one. And, I, you know, you can have your arguments about past lives and all that stuff. But I was an outlaw in the Old West. And then, I was a kid when I dreamed this. So I oh, don't nice. know where this came up from. 
I was out on the old west. They were hanging me. Uh, they they hung me, and then uh, and and then I was still alive. And yeah. That's whenever I realized that I was sleeping, that because I, I didn't I didn't feel any pain, so I was just like, and I got really mad, and I'm like, I'm going to kill every one of you for doing this. To wow. Me. They started shooting me. They tried to set fire to me. I was basically Rasputin. I kept getting back up, and I <laughs> and I massacred every single uh, townsfolk in that old western town. And it was just like, and 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 I mean, I was in total control of every person i killed in that dream so there you go uh rah rah rasputin damn you could write a movie about that i always always have control of my dreams i rarely don't have control of my dreams and i'll tell you what if i don't have a control control of my dream if i can't control what's happening in my dream i can end my dreams um, so I have that. My husband thinks it's the worst thing in the world. He's like, why would you want to do that? Why would you want control? Why would you not want to see where something goes? You know? And I was like, I don't know because like, I don't, I don't know. Like, um, I'll, I'll, I'll constantly move around in my dream, constantly go places, constantly see things, whatever. That's fine. I did have one gate that my dog was in my dream and he would not let me go through the gate. He wasn't talking to me. He wasn't using, he was talking to me, but not in words. He was communicating to me that I was not ready to go through that door yet. So I remember that dream. Cool. But yeah, there's the places I won't go, but it's usually if I'm getting a warning, I'm, I'm going to kind of listen and take heed. Maybe I'm not ready. What's behind that door. It may not be something evil. It might be a life experience that I am not ready for yet or something like that or death. Who knows? Um, but one time, and I told you this, it was the worst experience in the world. The only time in, I don't know, decades that I haven't had control of my dream. Cause I've had control of my dream since I was a child was when I went to that sleep study hmm. and I was pure evil that entire night and I didn't sleep and they swear that not once did they they have me on video screaming for help but they don't recall hearing me screaming for help because they have microphones in our rooms they didn't ever hear me scream for help and they said that my heart rate and my brain scans never changed to show that I was under any stress even though I was clearly screaming for help Interesting. Interesting. And I was like, okay, then I'm a liar or I made it up. I don't know. But like I had an evil nurse come to me in the dream. That was, uh, I, I, I realized she wasn't my nurse, but I couldn't get rid of her. I couldn't end it. So that was the worst night of my life. I did not sleep that night. Anytime I've ever had a dream that was a really bad nightmare, like something in the dream caused me to slam back awake and yeah. like, uh, you know, it ended that way. Yeah. Uh, I was also a sleepwalker as a kid. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, did it pretty regularly. Uh, one of the weirdest nightmares I ever had as a, as a child before the, the puberty nightmares that yeah. were like crazy was that uh, I dreamed that I walked through the house and I was visualizing everything perfectly as I was walking through the house at the time. Uh, and then opened up the front door, stepped out onto the steps. It was still nighttime. It was cold out. I could feel the cold underneath my feet on the, like the, the concrete, like, yeah. you know, porch or whatever that my parents had looked across the road. And in the middle of the road, there was like this ghostly girl, uh, who like stared at me and was like, you know, beckoning me to like follow her. And like, it frightened me. And then when I woke up, I was standing in the exact same spot, looking the exact same area that I was at in my dream. Oh, no, 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 no. 
No bueno. Probably would have caused you to walk into like a passing car or something like that. Uh, I don't know, to be honest, but it was like, I mean, it, it frightened me pretty bad. And I, I, then I made sure to, you know, uh, beat feet to get back inside the house, back into the bed and, and hope to God that that ghost girl didn't show up in my room. Like after room. I saw her. So, they can't be there unless you invite them. Um, but yeah, I, I, I had that experience and I mean, I was, and I, and it was pretty regularly known, uh, that I, like my parents talked about several times, I'd be walking through the house, like eyes kind of fluttered back in my head and I'd be mumbling things that I was saying in my dreams Fucking weird. and they were, then they knew that I was, and they was just like, go back to bed. And I'd, I'd go and I, I would listen to them and just go back to the <laughs> bedroom and go back to sleep. Like so. a fucking robot or a zombie <laughs> dreams would be fucking crazy. I tell you what uh, like i said i'll never forget that fucking that ugh, i'll never forget that sleep study uh, i actually i hope i forget that sleep study that was horrific you know maybe it's not fair maybe it's not fair that i've always had control of my dreams and one time i didn't i even had sleep paralysis i i never have sleep paralysis more than a few seconds that i can't get myself out of it and this was like i can't fucking move I've had, uh, I've never had sleep paralysis because obviously sleepwalking is the opposite. Oh, of that. yeah. But, but I, I have had moments in, in my sleep and these are really scary where like you can tell like in real reality that like your, your sleep apnea or what the mm-hmm. position you're in, like you're not breathing. Oh, right yeah. Because in my mm-hmm. dream, I start like having, I, I can't get a breath in my dream. Yes. But then I also can't move. I know I'm asleep at that point, but I also, and I, and I know in my mind, I have to wake up so I can get a breath there, but I can't, I can't stop the dream. I can't, I mm-hmm. can't wake up. I can't even move. Like my body is just, and and I think that's the way to describe sleep paralysis. Oh yeah, you're just tied to the bed. You yeah. can't even move at that point. Mm-hmm. No, that that's is definitely it. Literally feels like that's why they came up with that whole theory that it's little tiny demons tying you up and holding you down. You know, while you're having sleep paralysis, and it's like, okay, well, I'm not buying that, but it definitely feels like it. Yeah, so. it's uh, th- those have been pretty scary occurrences when that happened. Oh know? yeah, that's definitely especially if you think you're gonna die. <sighs> Have you died in your dreams ever? Uh, have I dr- died in my dreams? Yeah. Um, that you can recall? No, other than that, that one lucid dream where, I mean, I've, I've, anytime that I'm about to die in a dream, like I wake up. Okay, I've died in my dreams before. I hear that's not common. <laughs> um, I hear, but you, I don't know how many people fucking talk about their dreams. But yeah, I've, I've seen myself die in my dream. And then like, that's a, that's a weird experience. It's sad because you're like, you watched yourself die and then you're like, oh, fuck, what do I do now? What the fuck am I going to do? Well, you're dead, so I don't know what you're going to do. You better figure it out. <laughs> it's kind of funny. We're circling back to what he's talking about with the, like, the scary movies as a kid because, I mean, I was watching these 80s movies in like the early 90s because that was about the time period I would have been, you know, watching these. Yeah. And uh, the funniest thing was is like although my parents didn't contribute whatsoever to me watching these scary movies, my my aunts, both my mom's sister and then my, my uh, uncle, my dad's side's wife at the time, uh, contributed to me having like some of the worst dreams I've or nightmares I've ever had because one showed me Cujo. <laughs> Good boy, Cujo. That was, my, that was my, my, my mom's sister. And then like my, and then my uh, uncle's uh, wife at the time on my dad's side uh, showed us uh, uh, Pet Cemetery. <laughs> Both films, which will be reviewed on When Bad Animals Go Bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
or the King's uh, retrospective, whichever one we do yes. first. But yeah, it's uh, that both of those movies, and that's why I mean, now it was my own fault. I watched that on TV while that was uh, yeah. it came on ABC. That yeah. was my own fault for watching that. That's but, definitely uh, nightmare inducing. <laughs> But yes, those two movies were because my aunt showed them to me and I had horrible nightmares after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what ants are good for. They yeah. show you the shit like that and then they let your parents deal with it. Oh, yeah. You gotta, and God bless them, you know? <laughs> Anyways. Uh, but yeah, um, dreams are a weird thing and, that, and good on Wes Craven for like throwing all this stuff together and creating like, I mean... It, it just fits to have a slasher that, you know, like Freddy that can attack you in your dreams. That's just like a perfect setup for a movie. Yeah, he, he definitely cashed in on it. So, uh, Anything else we want to say about this first trilogy uh, before we uh, wrap it up on this one? The next time we, just so everybody knows, we will skip this and probably hit a few of the Leprechaun movies just to cash in on the fact that it is, you know, St. Patty's Day this yeah. month in March. But uh, then we'll probably come back to the series after that and, and move on to the next three, which Dream Master is pretty decent. Dream uh, Child is pretty terrible. And Six has its funner moments, but it's ultimately a pretty shitty movie. So yeah. uh, that, that's going to be a rough trilogy to, to watch. <clears throat> anything else you want to say about anything uh, of, of, of these? Yeah. I mean, no, I think I've already kind of said it. I'm kind of glad that I got to witness one of the movies that I have not watched yet, which was the gayest of all. I, how did I, I don't know how I missed <laughs> that one. Um, and now I'm even more excited to catch up. I think I've seen the one or a few of the remaining films. Um, so we'll, we'll figure that out as we get to those movies. Um, but you know, classic, classic slasher. Freddie is up there with the classics for sure. Well, yeah, we get a, uh, a dumbs down version in part six of the tendon scene in this one where Freddie is controlling somebody using, I think it might even be a young Breckenmeyer uh, with a Nintendo joystick. Uh, oh, that's hella funny. And he's like, and then his line in that is, now you're playing with power, you know. Shut so. up. Oh, my God. He is so dorky. <laughs> it, I'm telling you, this is the tipping point. It starts getting way worse when it comes to the puns. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyways, as far as plugs, we've got the lean into it, uh, uh, from the blue collar guys, blue collar BS, um, anything that they're still doing their Sunday night, uh, shindigs, I imagine. Yeah, they're doing their Sunday nights and um, they are eventually going to switch to Friday nights again, like they used to be, um, again, lean into it. It looks like Leanne to it. Leanne, number two, it, whatever. That's their thing. Uh, yeah. And, um, they do live shows. So you can actually watch and you can actually call in. Uh, tell them to shut up, give your input, whatever you want to do, really. Uh, but it is Sunday nights, and I mean, depending on where you're listening from, I don't know what time it is. All I know in California is it starts at 8 p.m. So do with that, that information. Would be 11 o'clock, yeah, Eastern time, exactly. And who knows what time elsewhere in the world for all you worldly <laughs> listeners that are keeping us on the charts, the Apple charts. Thank you, we appreciate you. Yeah, we. We very much appreciate every listener that we have. Yeah, sure. so interesting to say the least. But anyways, yeah, that's that's about it. Nothing, nothing too interesting. All right. Well, with that, peace be with you and with your spirit.